Hello and welcome to Diversity Podcast. My name's Julia Streets. A key part of increasing and extending diversity and inclusion is the need to drive change. On previous podcasts, we've had leaders talk about what needs to change. Today, we explore what drives transformation. I'm delighted to welcome two esteemed guests, each with a journey story to tell. Gera Boscovich and Samantha Jane Nelson. Gera Boscovich has enjoyed 10 fruitful years in business development for core insurance and banking systems. While she was with her last organization, Gera founded Femtech Global, which is an organization built on the premise that diverse teams create better results and embracing differences fosters creativity. She was named one of Brummel Magazine's 2016 30 Inspirational Women Innovators and in Innovate Finance's FinTech Powerless last year. She is also on the board of the Financial Inclusion Institute. Gera, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. We're also joined by Samantha Jane Nelson, who is the Vice President of Risk Engineering in the Global Energy Practice of Marsh. She is the chair of Pride at Marsh UK Network Group and an active member of LINK, the LGBT Insurance Network. She is widely recognised as a diversity champion. And in May 2017, Samantha received a Diversity and Champion Award at the British LGBT Awards. Samantha, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. So um, at the beginning of every podcast, we invite our guests to just talk a little bit about themselves. And so I'd like to invite you, I'm going to start with Gadda actually, I'll start with you in terms of your kind of personal story. So share us in two or three minutes uh, a bit about your background. Oh, goodness. Um, so my background is really uh, cerebral in the sense of I, I came from an economic or regulatory economic background and been working on pricing models for eons. And uh, starting working in technology and understanding some of the pricing impact or modeling impact of technology in terms of architecture and business model structure, um, ended up getting into fintech, uh, I guess, technically when it became a hashtag about four or five years ago, mm-hmm. uh, just because of a, a curiosity of how one input can change the entire model. And uh, found that I there was no real formal study, so it became an exercise in satisfying curiosity through uh, social media and network and learning from other people. And found that having those conversations and having the opportunity to have as many different conversations with as many different people in as many different aspects of fintech actually enriched my world. Um, and I kind of noticed that I wasn't, you know, I, I was a little bit on the on the outside in the sense that there weren't a, a lot of middle-aged crazy women in the field. I mean, there there are a bunch of middle-aged women, but they weren't crazy like I'm crazy. <laughs> so uh, trying to find community and finding a place and making those connections and uh, was fortunate enough to get involved in, an, in a tribe report in 2015 about the number of women in financial services. And I'd been given some bios to read and I thought I knew half of these women, but I didn't know them all. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, I felt like it. I, there was this compulsion to get to know them all, that I was missing something fundamental in terms of my education, my understanding, and my ability to even contribute to the industry because I didn't know these these comrades of mine. And I uh, took up the adventure of, of forming a network that actually did that for me. And in kind of exploring that avenue, I realized that I couldn't actually exclude anyone, that I needed to know everything from everybody. And the principle that kind of drives me is curiosity is a virtue. It's a moral virtue. And that curiosity needs to be satisfied through as many different sources as possible. And that it was almost my my obligation to 
not only connect myself to those people, but to connect them to others. And I found that, that through the strength of a network and through the strength of those conversations and sharing those ideas and putting them up for debate, that we all benefited from them, not just commercially in terms of the business that we can do, but actually how we start to think about developing a banking system for people generally, because money is at the root of every single one of our lives in some way, shape, or form. It allows us to move it allows us to transact. It allows us to communicate. It allows us to share. Money is essential to this. And so how do we create a system that enables everyone to participate in this? Because again, as the water rises and the boat rises, everybody else rises. Mm -hmm. So it came, it, it really comes down to actually making those connections and building that network. And okay. that's kind of, that's the journey, I guess. And, and then building that network, because you went from um, sort of being in, in a fully employed job to then leaving that job and making a a point of transition where you went, I don't need to take the paycheck anymore. I'm going to set up my own organization. I'm going to set up my own network. And I'm going to make that work not only for the, for the greater good, but actually for me in terms of my career journey. Mm -hmm. um, what, 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 what drove that change? What drove that decision to, to leave the paycheck behind and go off on, on your own venture? Kind of this realization that money grows on trees. And that sounds crazy, but it does. Um, that there would always be an opportunity. If I brought something to the table that was rich and that was fruitful and that I gave it generously, that there would be people that could appreciate it and that I could have support in paying the rent or the mortgage or mm -hmm. whatever bills were coming, that that wasn't an issue. Um, that the security of, of a consistent salary wasn't as interesting or as important as the security of knowing I could find the next project or engagement, irrespective mm -hmm. of its commerciality. Um, so part of it was you, you hit a certain point where you're like, enough, basta, I'm done. So, so there's a lot in there, which I'm, I'm keen to sort of unpick into, and we will. And, and in terms of uh, sort of aspects of um, the emotional side of, of your journey and, and, the, and the choice of, of direction, they also kind of taking their leap into the unknown with just the kind of the, the, the faith that, um, you know, that, that there will always be survival out there somewhere. There will be, there will be ways of, of, of finding a happier future almost. Because this is a consistent theme that we're hearing throughout transfer journeys on, and sort of where people are thinking about um, you know kind of we don't quite know what the future looks like and it can be quite quite unknown in many regards um, but let me at that moment um, invite you Samantha because uh, you, you have an extraordinary story which I think is one which is truly inspiring I would love you to share that with our listeners and uh, and again I, there is so much in the parallels that I think will be uh, worth worth talking about okay thanks Julia um yeah I mean I People say my, my story is remarkable. I don't consider it to be particularly remarkable. Um, I was born a long time ago, uh, pre-internet, pre pre-sort of that information <laughs> and that sort of in togetherness, that interconnectivity that we now we now benefit from. Um, so I struggled to actually find myself for a lot, lot of years. Uh, I was born in the northeast of England, you know, traditional working class, Roman Catholic upbringing and the constraints that come with regard to that. Um, when I was born, I knew I was different. Um, I totally identified internally as female. However, I was identified externally via the, the experts as, as male um, and really was forced to fit into a box that was stereotypically northern male this is what the expectation of you is this is what you need to do um and that that's everything that was drummed into me that was so adverse to my own self-belief or my own self-realization of, of who i was <clears throat> unfortunately as i say that there wasn't the internet there wasn't the sort of interconnectivity of, of communities at that time and i really really struggled to find myself consequently i i progressed down an engineering 
route, which was, you know, the, what was before me, um, as far as my peer group presented, um, and ultimately ended up working on the oil rigs for a lot of years, you know, wearing a mask, pretending to be something I wasn't. Um, but if I was going to pretend, I, I wanted to be the best I possibly could at it. Uh, I was always very driven. Um, so I end up managing installations and end up in a position where, you know, I, I 200 guys accountable to me. And for those of you that, that know the oil industry, it, it is 99% masculine, very, very macho. Um, and I endeavoured to fit in, but struggled more and more with it, particularly when I got into the sort of more management realm and we were starting to preach the doctrine of authenticity, you know, open door, come and see me if you've got any problems, mm-hmm. you know, be yourself. And I was sitting there day after day questioning myself and saying, look, I'm, I'm not being myself here. I'm, I'm in a trap here. I'm in a trap. And I realised that... Fortunately, around that time, the internet had come about and I was starting to develop more and more of an understanding of myself, which was removed from my earlier recollections of going to the library and going through the Dewey Decimal Index system to find any reference. Or it's not, it's not anymore, <laughs> but I was something of a you know, I did manage to uh, negotiate quite readily at one point. Uh, and the other source of information, of course, the newspapers at the time, the newspapers at the time, anything that was adverse from the, the traditional mm you know what we what wanted to be presented as the norm was very much frowned upon it was all always shock headlines and and over dramatized so i didn't want to be over dramatized i didn't want to be the focus of that sort of attention um but ultimately i did get to a point where i thought no i need to do something about this and i was very fortunate at that point um the offshore installation or the offshore industry that i worked within you work a, a cyclical rotor. So I used to work for two weeks and then have three weeks off, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic mm-hmm. fantastic rotor, by the way. <laughs> but where I found myself was for the two weeks I was away, I was presenting in this this very macho management style, coming home and then living as, as myself, you know, presenting as myself. I'd established contacts through the internet at this phase. And I was really struggling with these two parts of my personality to connect them. You know, it was almost as if I built a wall and I surrounded myself in the work environment and was very very much just performing doing what needed to be do but not letting anyone get close to me mm-hmm. as opposed to when I was at home I was distancing myself entirely from work and being being myself and that's where I found real joy and real energy in myself I couldn't think of a way internally of how to how to sort of connect those two elements there was that's basically where fate intervened. And I always tell this story, no matter I'm presenting, at the time we, we'd start to get smartphones and we had the internet, we had face, we had various social media streams. And I was I was I had my social media stream in, in my female persona. I had my mobile phone. Obviously, some of the colleagues at work had the number. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did an upgrade to the software and the, the service providers thought it was smart to connect your social media page to your mobile phone number. So when you rang people, oh. you got photographs. Mm-hmm. The, the you know your primary yeah, yeah. focus uh not many people had my personal mobile phone number but one in particular who did who i was very close with um obviously saw my female presentation and my photograph when when we were calling one another um they hummed and hard and wasn't sure weren't sure whether they should approach me and say that you know we know you know, people know you need to be aware mm. of this. Uh, ultimately, she did, and I'm very, very, I'm, so, I'm so pleased she did. At the end of the day, she said, "Look, I want you to know not to worry about this, but I need to let you know something." And that's where she said she knew, and it was okay. Right. I didn't have right. to do anything, mm. but she was there for me, 
if, if I needed anything at all. And that sort of chink that appeared in that wall, that divide between, between my working environment and my home environment, all the, all the bricks just seemed to tumble down. All of a sudden I had this light thinking, okay, although I've been taught if anyone ever finds out, I'll lose everything, mm. which is very much what I had been right, brought yes, up believing. Yeah. All of a sudden I had someone from my working environment that came to me and said, look, it doesn't matter. We'll be there for you. And she'd already approached the HR. We, we had a friend in HR who was the HR director at the time, just to canvas opinion what she should do and whether mm-hmm. what the company would say. And very much the company sided with, look, we're there to support. There's a safety net there. And as soon as there was a safety net there, I thought, what have I been hiding for? Yes. Why, why yes. have I been using all this energy to stop people finding out who I am? And this is uh, this is an amazing thing, which is the the amount of energy that is is wasted. Oh. On you know the kind of what, what people, I mean, you use the words kind of building up your own wall and building up your own kind of framework where you just go and it's equally with, with career paths where we think that when we set out on a career journey, this is the path it's going to take. When we set out on a life journey, this is the path it's going to take. And these these kind of walls are on these directions and boundaries, if you like, are put up. And some a lot of them we we put up ourselves. Yeah. I, th- I think it's part of your your social conditioning. Um, that you, obviously, you build up a lot of unconscious bias that's learned from your the, the your tutors at an early age. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So your your own and, and I always go back to you know I was I was taught by my parents. I was taught by my teachers. I was taught by priests the unacceptability of who I was. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a wall I built. It was a wall that was right. proposed to me, mm-hmm. and then I assembled because that's what I was taught. It's it's actually. Samantha, it's interesting that you bring that up because it's that notion of things can only look one way. Yes. And we're told things should look one way. And there is a notion of what is perfect and what is imperfect. And it's a binary thing. That's right. And it's that understanding that those are really, all of that is myth. That what we're taught, what we're told is actually someone's attachment to their perspective. It has nothing to do with reality. It has everything to do with what they want to work, that framework that they want to operate within. But it doesn't say something has quality or something doesn't have quality. It just says, this is the way I feel comfortable seeing the world, and I'm going to superimpose it on you. And, I mean, I remember breaking away from my parents' constructs and their belief systems many times over. And finding that each time I broke away from that, like, this is... Here are the commandments, follow these commandments, whether or not they're coming from the clergy or they're coming from your parents or they're coming from your instructors. It was that every time I broke the rule, the world didn't end and I didn't end and I didn't shatter. Mm -hmm. But it's that notion of this is the way it has to look and I can't look any other way. And when you get to that moment, I mean, actually, what did that moment feel like when you realized, screw this, I could look any way I wanted to look? (laughs) Yeah, I think I think that's that's it's such a point of realization. Haven't haven't been self confined for so long, and you're right. It's it's a it's a feeling that's superimposed upon you, and you, you want to belong. I think the human condition is you you want to belong. Absolutely. You want you want connections, yeah. and you build this barrier, thinking you know, haven't been taught and believing that that barrier falls, I'm going to lose all my connections, all all my livelihood, you know, everything that I have. But once you have that chink and once you take that step and once you develop a greater understanding yourself and, and who you actually are and are willing to step over that threshold, it, it's, it's a brand new day. 
it is so energizing and the pressure and the weight and then the energy that you use to maintain those barriers strip that away and all of a sudden you have an entirely new perspective on life and it brings with it so much joy or certainly in my case it did it was almost as if i'd been born again all those things i stopped myself from doing because i was so terrified of someone seeing me once i presented as myself the world, the world, my oyster. I mean, honestly, I, I travel around the world now with my job. I'm so, so fortunate, visiting so many fabulous places, meeting so many fabulous people, seeing different cultures, how, how you know, interacting in so many different environments. That going back 15 years, I wouldn't have considered it. I wouldn't, you wouldn't even, have known it. I, I wouldn't have known it was possible now because somebody put the expectation on that there was a limit. It, so this is interesting because I, I always wonder about accepting self first or accepting others first. And so I talk a lot in, in terms of how to network with people and what my ethos is on networking. And it's always, it's never about me. And in fact, it, it was in New York last week having the most odd conversation around my perception of somebody and his discomfort and, and how I perceived his discomfort. And he said, you, your personality changed from the first time we met. You were very funny and like uh, you were ready to spar and it was just, you know, rapid fire, this, that, and the other. And you're actually really, really calm and quiet. And I'm not quite reconciling. I don't get this. This isn't the person that I met. And I said, what's interesting is when I met you, I met you where you were. And I knew you needed that. I knew that was a, a self-defense mechanism. That was something that you needed to be funny. You needed to seem, you know, like you were in control. I'm totally happy to meet you there. Now that you've relaxed into who you seem to be, you're seeing who I am. But the thing is, I accepted you from the get-go. I gave you what you needed. And I don't need anything other than for you to feel comfortable. In fact, my need is for you to feel like you can be who you are in front of me and know that I just appreciate that you're willing to interact with me because what I want most is the connection. Mm -hmm. Whatever form that comes in, I'll, I'll work to get the connection. And it's an interesting thing that when I stop saying, I need to be accepted, and kind of turned it around and said, no, 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 I need to make sure that other person knows that they're accepted. It fundamentally changed the way I was able to navigate every aspect of my life. As soon as, soon as I knew there were allies there, as soon as I knew I had support, I, I think I was at a phase in my life where I was desperate to do something. As I said, I felt constrained. I really needed that, that wall to be deconstructed. I was struggling. I was struggling between the two parts of my personality. When it came down, I'd always been an advocate for, for diversity streams anyway, because I knew what I was hiding and I didn't want other people to be hiding it. But I wasn't as vocal about that. You know, I was in a, a working environment, predominantly masculine. I, I was pushing to get, get females into the engineering sphere. I saw that as being a bit of a mission for myself. Um, <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> um, but then once, once the mask came down and I was actually able to present myself, going back to the energy that brought, all of a sudden it opened my eyes and started me thinking about various other diversity strains that I hadn't had any real involvement with or any real engagement. And once I started looking at, okay, how can we get everyone around this table? How can we look towards bringing equality to everyone? Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately, I, I don't want anyone to be sitting in the situation I was where they're, you know, that they're, they're confined by this wall yeah. and not able to, to express and be themselves because there's nothing more important than this life than to be able to present, be able to be yourself, have your own opinions and have people listen to them. So I call that witnessing. Yeah. I almost call the purpose of our own lives is to witness others. And I say this often, my job is to witness you as you are and as you want me to see you. And that, and when I do that, I fulfill my responsibility as a human being. And that all I ask in return is that you witness me as I am. And that that is the social contract that we have with one another. And it 
it's a place of non-judgment. It's a place of neutrality. It's a place of pure equality because it doesn't have any of this framework. Like there's no expectation on it. It's you or you and I see you and I see you. And I, I, I get to, I get the privilege of respecting you as a human being. Now, whether or not we choose to interact afterwards or what kind of, you know, what kind of business arrangement we have or what kind of friendship we have, that's a different thing. But you, as you, that has to be pure. It has to be an, a perfect respect. And that's witnessing. And that's an interesting notion that I think we really kind of forget day to day is the moment we, that we're, we're almost obligated as human beings just to witness one another. And, and I think this is very interesting because we're seeing a, a tip at the moment around, um, we talked about unconscious bias and we talked about uh, sort of diversity and inclusion sort of within organisations. And and when we talk about sales mm-hmm. and, and leadership and emotional intelligence or EQ, uh, that, um, that, that this is something that's it's becoming the latest buzzword. But this is exactly how when you break that down into what does that really look like, the witnessing piece is incredibly important because that's people go, yes, yes, I get it. And I understand it, and I and I will work on it. But actually, it's only when you really positively understand the impact of witnessing that you can have a much much better engagement with the employee who's sitting there going, "I'm just trying to be. I want to turn up at work every day, just being me, and actually to my soul, right down to my soul, and in in every way." I I, I I'm very interested in kind of along that journey. Is is have you um. And, and for both of you, actually, because you, Gary, you talk about your network and, and Samantha, you talk about, you know, kind of your journey with with the support that came immediately kind of when you needed it is um, and, and actually when you're traveling around the world as well, is how, how where, where do you see your support networks come? Are there some that have surprised you? People have just come out of the blue or are there some you'd expect, such as your corporate structures? Are there, are there networks and support um, uh, infrastructures or individuals that have cropped up? Um, I think, yes. From from my perspective, I, I came through a, a number of obviously a number of years ago. I, I transitioned at the time; it was, it was fairly novel. It certainly wasn't as, as popular as it seems to be becoming all of, all of a sudden, which isn't a bad thing. It's it's power for what has been done visibility wise. But at the time, I, I found myself interacting with a lot of HR professionals and asking questions with regard to okay, why aren't we doing this? Mm-hmm. How can we do this better? Um, which was good from one respect, because I was there at the, the, the concept of a lot of the stuff that was put in, put in place. As I've progressed through my career, there's, there's always been individuals who've been particularly passionate or interested in getting people around the table. And I seem to have been very fortunate to interact with those individuals, whether they've come to me or I've gone to them and made the connections just because I can see the positive energy that they carry. So together within, within organisations, we, we very much driven the idea of getting everyone around the table you know that that engagement piece is the very first step and i think we're in a, a very important moment at the moment as society certainly within the financial services where we are all starting to talk about this now mm-hmm. now as you mm-hmm. say talking is one element mm-hmm. it's well, yes well, it's an entirely different one that can, yeah. so that education piece that comes around okay once you've got the piece you know sitting around the table you've engaged how do we educate one another how do we listen to one another? How do we communicate? Mm-hmm. How do we you know, breathe that empathy, build the understanding, the witnessing of one another? And not just the witnessing, but the support, you know, giving each other that support. And it comes in so many different forms. I think that's, it's interesting. It goes back to the listening, actually, when you talk about the support structure. Um, it came from the people I listened to, not from those that were listening to me. Yeah. That's the interesting thing. It was when I again, made it outwardly focused when I said, 
I'll listen to what you have to say. I'll fully witness you, but I'll listen. And I'll actually try to understand exactly where you're coming from, the empathetic part, that those are the people that showed up for me in ways that surprised me. And I am still surprised. I actually, I, I, it sounds funny to say I'm gobsmacked when someone offers to connect me to somebody else or that they do something uh, above and beyond what, what I've asked because I couldn't conceive of asking for the stars. I only asked for the sand. And it came from, the support comes from those that I, that I was being generous with my time and attention to, not the other way around. It sounds an odd thing to say, but it was, but at the same time, it's that notion of how do we build that, how do we build the muscle to do it? And then how do we actually start putting it into practice? It's, water rises to its own level. And actually in our first podcast, Justine was talking about um, <clears throat> actually the various muscles used for leadership and that was absolutely one of them was the, the, the power of listening as well. And and, and actually my sort of commercial hat on <clears throat> when I think about you know, sales teams and leadership and how organizations drive change. For me, it always comes back to a very central premise, which is people do business with people they like. And if you've got that connection with, with all of this we've been talking about today, if you can build that connection, then you've got to have a much, much more powerful and productive business relationship. Well, you're talking about sales. Sales only happen when you can actually solve a problem. And you can't solve a problem unless you know what that problem is. And how do you know it? You know it by listening and actually listening to the stuff that's not being said. So at least what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment there, actually, and I'm going to uh, invite Cynthia and Roberts to share some uh, to share some research that they found in the industry. The 2017 Workplace Equality Fact Sheet with research carried out by Out and Equal stated that transgender people face double the rate of unemployment as the overall population. Nearly half of transgender people were not hired, were fired or were not promoted due to their gender identity. Nine in ten transgender employees experienced harassment or mistreatment on the job or took steps to avoid it. And for transgender employees in 2002, just 3% of Fortune 500 companies had non-discrimination protections that included their gender identity. But today, 82% include gender identity in non-discrimination policies. One of the things I'm really interested to explore, because uh, these are very positive stories, and what's great is we're talking about everything from the experiential to the practical to the commercial, about why this matters in, in business, leadership, sales, uh, etc. Um, but it's not always rosy. So along the journey, somebody will have an opinion that you ne don't necessarily appreciate, uh, expect, or in fact, uh, favour. And and I'd like to sort of take some time to think about how do you deal with that? How do you plan for it, prepare for it, roll through it? Samantha, along along your journey, uh, and and I know that you mentor and support a lot of other people as well, uh, right the way across the diversity inclusion spectrum. Um, do, do you talk about this very much? I do. I, I come from a slightly different perspective. Um I obviously, as, as we've mentioned, went through my journeys, had had problems uh, through my educational system, through my parents. I, I, I still don't talk to my parents. Or I speak to my mother. I'm not allowed to speak to my father. So there's problems that are incurrent with that. It's not where I want to be. And it's something you have to deal with. You you deal with it through through getting to know yourself and knowing the value of yourself. Mm -hmm. So anyone who posi positions any negativity upon you, I are very much of the opinion, yeah, everyone's entitled to an opinion. Whether I listen to that opinion or not, an entirely different matter, I would add. Now, I've been on both sides of the table. I've sat round tables with groups of men drinking, being boisterous and expressing that their true 
feelings about a number of issues, obviously presenting in a completely different way to how I present now. And some of the things I heard at those points were were terrible. And I wished I'd had the strength of character to stand up and, and actually try and make a difference at that point. But I was so concerned about holding my mask up and protecting myself that I didn't. I shied away into the corner. And I think one of the learnings, one thing I always discuss going forward is if people are there around a table and they hear things being said that the ne- the hairs on the back of the neck are going up and thinking, oh, I should really say something. It's so much more powerful if those people who are aren't directly impacted by it actually step up and say that's not right. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so that allies piece is so important to remove the negativity because it is about developing understanding, about educating, about supporting one another. I'm fortunate. I, I travel the world and and. <sighs> Surprisingly, although I had a huge fall and was terrified of it falling down that I was going to lose everything, now that I go everywhere by myself, I actually can hand on heart say I've never, ever felt any negativity. Whether that's because I'm so surrounded by my own happiness bubble or not, I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, I, 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 I couldn't be happier. And you might get the odd glance when I first go into a seminar or an event. I mean, I was recently over in Indonesia and there was a big, big event I was talking at. There was about 200 people there. Uh, I wondered in, you could see when I first took to the stage and first started talking, there was a bit, there was a raised eyebrow or a glance, you know, or something, something's different here. Mm-hmm. It's out of our norm. But once you start discussing about a topic you, you are aware of, whether that's from a technical aspect, which this one actually was, engineering, or whether it's something to do with diversity, once you engage with people and people breathe, sort of develop that understanding, those barriers fall down. Yes. People have that understanding, and that's what we need to do. Just talk, yes. just educate, yes. and just empower people to support as allies. Yeah, the ally bit is absolutely important. Strength in numbers, and especially the people that aren't affected. I mean, again, it's witnessing others too. It's it's not just witnessing the person in front of you, but it's witnessing the experience and the economy of, of interactions of others. Yeah, I think that's the type of we we all try to to walk at this. You know, we're, we're on the vanguard of a lot of change, or certainly what what I'm trying to do, role modeling, supporting various diversity streams within organisations. You very much have a network. You have the millennials coming through who. who really see this they don't they don't see it as being an issue mm-hmm. you've got ourselves who've been pushing agendas for too long really mm-hmm. and have made progress but you always feel although the upper echelons of organizations get the facts and figures and can see the value of it whether they actually believe in the value of it's another thing but then that frozen middle section that middle management that genuine gen, you know the generation you were speaking about so they're in that stage of their career where they've developed and they've got control over people's promotions over hiring and really they're set in their own ways and actually breaking into that middle section is the most difficult thing to do mm-hmm. and we must be careful not to alienate them I think that's the important thing to get across. It's how we how we communicate correctly with them and bring them on board. And have there have there been any uh, in in that 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 middle that you talk about? Have there been any areas that really surprised you in terms of where certain behaviours that you thought were entrenched in, you know, old school practices, and actually somebody's eyes have been lifted? Can you can you talk about some of the triggers that have done that or some evidence around that? Yeah, I think from again just just speaking from a personal perspective, I, I've I've been fairly visible for a number of years now certainly since I've come down to London I've worked in the financial area and I was always worried of that transit from where I was comfortable from an engineering perspective working offshore to coming somewhere different and presenting 100% as myself without anyone knowing my background 
And there were comments made and a bit of confusion when I first came into the organisation. They weren't sure about risk assessments for me going overseas or how that actually stood legislation-wise, which is a bit strange. And is that something that people are looking at now? They're really kind of consciously... It's something they look at. I tell them not to worry too much about it because I go anywhere regardless. <laughs> <laughs> that's, just, that's my, that's my, I can that's my <laughs> But people were concerned about mm-hmm. that, which, which is fine. It, the, the, it was the unfamiliarity with mm-hmm. the situation. Mm-hmm. So that, that, honest, that got actually, people... Yeah, it got you. people thinking, which I thought was fabulous. Mm-hmm. And there willing to engage and discuss it mm-hmm. and I think just starting that dialogue allow people to better understand the situation the wall stand off and they're oh, oh, not quite sure what to do but actually engaging in talking one-to-one you suddenly found what could be perceived as the frozen model middle parts of it were starting to thaw and mm-hmm. think no oh, oh she knows what she's talking about oh, oh she's, she's all right she's we, we listen to her mm-hmm. and once you get those pockets thawing what a difference it makes having representation through that part of the organisation. There's still people that are uncomfortable with it, not sure what terminology to use. And that's across the entire diversity spectrum. That mm. isn't just LGBT by any means. Yeah, so in fact, p- we were talking to Heather Millville about this very topic. Yeah, about the, yeah. That so, so, so they use what they see as being politically correct, and I hate that term, but they'll, they'll refer to, to D&I. Mm. or they refer to issues, or they refer to agendas. And it's not, at the end of the day, it's all about us being being human beings, about achieving, you know, the best we possibly can for one another. You know, recognising in yourself that what you bring to an organisation. You were talking about sales and products. I think your main product is yourself. It is your unique selling proposition is you. It is. And, and ladies, I think that's a perfect note to end the discussion on today. Um, it's been wonderful we could talk for a long long time but Samantha and Geta thank you both very much indeed thank you this episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me Kieran Yates on behalf of Julia Streets Productions thanks to Cynthia Akinsanya and Robert Pinto Fernandez for their insights you can find out more about the guests on this week's show on our website diversitypodcast.com and that's diversity with a C, not an S. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. To be sure of catching all our future podcasts, subscribe to our feed in iTunes or your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed this episode of Diversity, remember to give us a rating or review in iTunes. It all helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.